You're listening to Quick and Dirty History, the show about American history on the go. Every nation should anxiously endeavor to establish its absolute independence and consequently be able to feed and clothe and defend itself. If it relies upon a foreign supplier that may be cut off, it cannot be independent. Henry Clay I hope you're feeling good, because I'm feeling good. So, the War of 1812 is over. Woohoo! Time to party. After the war, a wave of nationalism and unity sent a shockwave throughout the United States. People had a sense of pride, loyalty, and protectiveness towards their country. Much like many of us have felt after a very unifying event, like the events of 9-11, or the first day of the COVID-19 pandemic. It was 1816, and James Monroe was elected president with little opposition from the Federalist Party. Monroe was the last president America would have that had served in the Continental Army during the Revolution, and the last of the founding fathers to become president. James Monroe toured the country and was widely supported and welcomed everywhere he went. He made an effort to unite the ever-growing United States, which had been war-torn for far too long. Monroe thought the country was ready to get back to its united roots. As a nationalist feeling spread, some people slowly shifted their loyalties away from state governments and toward the federal government. As the Federalist Party faded away, political differences gave way to what one Boston newspaper called the era of good feelings. These good feelings secured Monroe's re-election in 1820. But this was also an era of divisive politics. In fact, it's kind of the most ironic name ever. The idea of the time was to bring all Americans together, and on paper, that looked good. But this is America. Not everybody's going to agree. Against the interest of especially Southern politicians, to promote national unity, the Speaker of the House, Henry Clay, proposed the American system. It had three parts. First, establishing a national bank that would promote a single currency. That's right, until this time, most regions in America and states had their own currencies. Can you imagine going through a currency exchange just to travel into a different state? That's how it worked in the young United States. Second, protective tariffs would be increased to encourage American manufacturing. By taxing imported goods, they would promote American business over foreign competition. The tax Congress passed made products in Europe way more expensive. Buying American was the ticket. Third, since improving transportation was critical for a strong economy, the money generated from these taxes and tariffs would be used to build roads and canals and other public works. The South argued against the American system, saying it would hurt their economy. Some even argued that Congress spending money on public works in the individual states was unconstitutional. Either way, the public works continued. The era of good feelings and the nationalist spirit it brought with it encouraged Americans to further define and expand the country's borders. Tensions of the time are super high between the United States and Spain as well as Russia and Great Britain. Monroe was worried European countries would attempt to recolonize territories in the Americas, in a move that would shape foreign policy for years to come and today. The Monroe Doctrine was issued and set the stage for America becoming a world power. Monroe said the Americas were closed to further colonization. 
attempts by other nations to colonize the Americas would not be tolerated. The doctrine stated that European efforts to reestablish colonies would be considered dangerous to our peace and safety. European interference in American affairs would not be tolerated, and the U.S. would stay neutral in European colonies. Attempts from Europe to further colonize the Americas would be considered acts of aggression. And then, James Monroe dropped the microphone like a boss. There was more going on inside the nation, too. As nationalism grew, sectionalism did, too. Many saw the importance of regional and state identities, and they saw the federal government destroying that. To break it down, the South relied upon plantations and slavery. The Northeast focused on factories and trade. And the wild, wild west was a place for people to explore and exploit new territories. The North liked high tariffs and people buying American-made stuff. The South, supporting slavery, <coughs> dicks, wanted low tariffs because they imported most of their goods. The era of good feelings especially seemed like a bullshit name when Missouri applied for statehood. At the time, the United States consisted of 11 slave states and 11 free states. If Missouri, or Missouri, depending on what you prefer, was admitted as a slave state like it wanted, the balance would be upset. Henry Clay, known as the Great Compromiser, came up with a solution. Although, to call allowing slavery to continue in states a solution is all sorts of hogwash. Missouri would enter the Union as a slave state, but Maine, which was still part of Massachusetts, would enter as a free state. In the future, all states entering the Union south of the border of Missouri would be free states too. The Missouri Compromise effectively divided the land from the Louisiana Purchase into separate regions defined by slavery. Thomas Jefferson, the man, the myth, the legend, warned that the line would someday rip the United States apart, and he was not wrong. Slavery was increasingly the issue that was dividing the North and the South. Spoiler alert! It ends in a big ol' war. <laughs>